0: 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be. That was kind of fun. I paused and I watched all you guys going like, all right, well, where are we? Where are we going? 2 Timothy chapter 3. My plan is, and we'll see how it goes here, to uh, accomplish working our way through the entire chapter today. I know that's a bold statement and a bold challenge, but I think we can do it. 2 Timothy chapter 3... Let's pray. Lord, we are all very conscious of uh, the news, the world, the direction. Recognizing, Lord, that things cannot uh, continue on in, in the way that they are. Uh, recognizing, Lord, that uh, these are, these are um, stressful times for many. Challenging times, and I thank you, Lord, that in these times we have hope as an anchor for our souls, the hope of our salvation, the promises of your word. That we as Christians, um, we have something, Lord, that is, is um, solid. And we have something that, that is filling and not empty. We have something that is satisfying. To our souls, Lord. And we thank you for it. And we're here, Lord, ready to dig in and, and be changed by your word. And ready to understand. And we pray that you would, you would give understanding to the simple today, Lord. Us simple folk that just want to know you. Know not just about you, Lord, but know you personally. To have fellowship with you. I pray, Lord, that today if there's any that are walking in darkness that they would come out into the light and have fellowship with one another, with us. Father, just continue your work in our lives, continue your work in our hearts. Give us just a a tremendous understanding and grasp of your holiness and your awesome power that we might serve you with fear, with awe, As the creator of the universe, billions upon billions of stars and universes upon universes, Lord. You are awesome and amazing, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. How many of you have ever been on a cruise, just out of curiosity, have been on a cruise? We went on a cruise a couple of years ago, and uh, of course, people go on to a cruise, and it's just a, it's a time when you expect uh, to be pampered, and you expect sort of to overeat. I think that happens when you go on a cruise, you know. It's just a time to get away and to enjoy yourself and, and to have fun. Well, that wasn't the case. Maybe that was the intention, but a couple of months ago, I have this article from February 11th titled, Foul Conditions Aboard Stranded Carnival Cruise Ship Triumph. Passengers describe sewage running down the walls and people acting like savages. Here's the the article, says Carnival, whose advertising tagline is all for fun and fun for all. That's catchy. uh, Confirmed that passengers were now facing a series of challenges aboard the Triumph. Aboard the crippled cruise ship, no one feels like celebrating. Two days after a fire knocked out power to the ship and left It drifting 150 miles off the coast of Mexico, tugboats labored to drag the boat and its 4,200 weary and fed-up passengers to its unscheduled final destination, Mobile, Alabama. A fire in the Triumph's engine room Sunday morning crippled the enormous ship 150 miles off the coast of the Yucatan Peninsula, leaving 3,143 passengers and 1,086 crew members on board with limited power. With few working toilets and its air conditioning out of commission, as the boat crawls along at five to eight miles per hour, the Triumph has turned into a fetid nightmare that won't end for its passengers and crew until the boat docks Thursday. The odor is so bad it's making them sick, Brett Nutt, whose wife Bethany was on board, told CNN. They're vomiting and stuff all over the boat just from the odor. Since losing power, the interior portions of the 14-story ship have been turned into a sweltering, gut-churning sauna, far removed from the vision of the, uh, of the boat as 24 hours of fun a day that the company promotes on its website. Conditions are getting worse by the hour. Cabin carpets are wet with toilet water, and toilets are overflowing inside the cabins. We are having to sleep in the hallways. Onion and cucumber sandwiches last night. We stood in line for hours to get a hamburger. The one man whose wife is on board said um, that his wife was crying and she just wants off the ship. I mean, it's horrible. There's no running water. There's no power. They're having to use the restroom in buckets and bags. It's like a bunch of savages on there, he added. If you get on the blogs, they're saying that people are fighting over food and stuff. And so the article kind of goes on. That's a a brief version. And it got me to thinking, you know, isn't that sort of the way it is with our world? People kind of have this expectation that oh, you know, we just we want to have fun. Life is all about fun, and but we realize that things aren't going as planned, are they? It's sort of uh, not carnival. It's sort of carnival, isn't it? Things are changing in the world, aren't they? And are things getting better or are things getting worse? Do you think? I mean, what, have we ever had a time in our History that we've had to worry about our kids going to school And and having school shootings and those kind of things Now if you had to go on that cruise ship And you, could, you, you were signed up You were going on Would you want to know ahead of time That that was what was going to happen Or would you not want to know How many of you would want to know What you were going to face How many of you would say I'd rather not know and just deal with it Some of you would not want to know Some of you would want to know <clears throat> Well In chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul is is preparing Timothy for the world that is to come. And and in in some ways already is, but is getting worse. Again, not a carnival, but a carnival. As things grow worse, Paul reminds Timothy that verse 1 of chapter 3 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And and we live in the last days now, we know that, that that from the time of Pentecost until now, we're living in the last days, and we're living in the last of the last days. These things are going to get worse. Things are going to continue to not progress, digress. And this is a common misconception that somehow the world is getting better and better. Technology and these types of things are, are making our world a better place. And I don't think that's our experience. As a matter of fact, Paul says the world will see perilous times in the last days. Perilous means hard times, things that are hard to take, difficult, or literally fierce or savage. Savage. Just like on that boat, as conditions deteriorate, what happens to people? You see, the problem isn't that, well, the government is is at fault or... You know, the the world system is is the issue, and if we could only fix this and fix that, things would be better. There are some things happening in the world, and we recognize that. The world is under great stress, and people are under greater and greater stress. There's increased population. There's increased demand on resources like oil and water, and there's diminishing supply. Jobs are harder to find. Automation has made that uh, the middle class jobs become um, more obsolete. Growing urban areas leave billions of people dependent that, that live in, in cities. Matter of fact, one article from MIT said that by 2030, the economy will collapse. And that was predicted years ago, but they're following the predictions and saying, yeah, they're right on track. This, is a, this article has been accurate to date. With these things happening, what do you think will happen to people? How do you think that's going to, just like on the, the Carnival cruise ship, when deteriorating conditions cause deteriorating what? Behavior in people. And I think we're going to see that. And that's what Paul says. The problem isn't uh, some uh, large-scale kind of uh, organizational problem in the world. It's people. Look what he says. In the last days, perilous times or fierce times or hard-to-take times or difficult times will come. Why? It's going to be because of what people will become. Verse 2, and and I'll read, it's a long list, so we'll just kind of get through the list here and then we'll go back. For men uh, will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. 19 characteristics of the direction of the world that our children are inheriting. I say we need to be prepared. And Paul says, Timothy, you need to be prepared to walk with God under these circumstances, it's going to be more difficult than ever to live godly in these perilous and difficult times. And Timothy, you've got to know, because if you're not prepared, if you don't know, then you may end up turning away to that wide door that everybody's going through, instead of that narrow gate that leads to life. So let's just look at a couple things. Again, 19 characteristics of mankind that are, are and will be on the rise But the thing I want to make a note of first is the things that people will love. There are three things specifically that Paul points out that people will love. The first thing, what will they love? It's the first thing in the list, and I think it deserves to be the first thing in the list because I think everything else in the list stems from that. In the last days, people will love themselves. And the Greek word literally is two words, love and self. Now, why will they love themselves? Well, because we've been telling them to do that for so long. You've heard it said, well, you can't love others until you first love yourself. Have you heard that before? Well, you've got to love yourself. You know, the Bible never tells you to love yourself. I think God's assumption is that you already do. Now, some, now, hear me out on this, and, and and I think you'll agree with me when I say, What we do have to do is accept ourselves. You are created in the image of God. You are who you are. God has created you uniquely and individually. And there comes a time in your life where you have to come to terms with that. You have to recognize that I am who I am. I can't continually be envious and jealous of other people. And that's a separate issue. That has to do with you recognizing God as your sovereign creator. The one that made you, he fashioned your heart, the Bible says, individually. There's no one else like you. And so there is a coming to terms with that as an individual. But the problem is, when we love ourselves, we put ourselves first. We look out for number one. The Bible tells us not to love ourselves, but to love God and love other people. That's what the Bible says. And if, you, if you're told, hey, you've got to love yourself before you love others, if you love yourself, you won't love others. Because to love yourself is to put yourself first, is to look out for yourself, to make sure your needs are met. And, and just like on the Carnival cruise ship, just like when, when it's going to snow and people go to the grocery store, you're not going, you know, I wonder what my neighbors need. I wonder what I can do for the person down the street. You're going, we need milk and we need bread. And, you know, people are, what do you people do with milk bread? Uh, you know, like making milk bread sandwiches or what? How do you do that? I don't know. Milk and bread seem to be the thing, you know. And eggs. I guess you have egg sandwiches with a glass of milk when it snows. <laughs> but people go ballistic, you know? People get crazy on the streets and then, and then forget about Christmas time when it comes time to buy that unique toy that everybody's got to have. People are beating each other up for a stupid toy at Christmas time. Because we've got to have it for us. And this is what happens when, we, when people love themselves. And that will be increasing and increasing as time continues. And we see it increasing even now. People loving themselves. Well, what else will people love? What's it say next? Lovers of themselves, lovers of money. I mean, we know that. We know that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We know that the love of money drives so much in our world, doesn't it? People don't care about you. They just care about your money. They don't care if you're happy with the product, for the, I'm generalizing, some people do. But in general, it, it's not about customer service, it's just about profit. And you know, I'm, am I lying to you? You've experienced it. Lovers of money. And when you love money, it affects how you treat people. If, you're, if the ultimate goal for you is money, and, and you, like a friend of mine had the philosophy, you get all you can every time you can, then uh, that will affect the way you treat people. But if you love people, it'll affect the way you handle money. So in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, and as a result of that, they will love money and what money can do for them. You know, I've realized this, and maybe you have too, that part of being a generous giver is you have to make a determined decision in your life to live at a lower level than you could. So that someone else can live at a higher level than they could. It's making the determination to not have all the things that you could. I'm going to go with and do with less. So that someone who has less can have a little more. That's a godly approach to money. It's not about me just heaping things to myself. It's about me using the resources that God's given me to bless others and to give. But in the last days, people will be lovers of money. What else will they love? It's farther down in the list. Look down at verse 4. Do you see it? What else will people love? They'll love pleasure. Are we there yet? I mean, we're there. We're there. And, but again, it's going to get worse and worse. These are trends that are going to continue. They're not going to get better. People aren't going to wake up and go, huh, you know, money's not the answer. There's a whole world walking in darkness. They have no idea about the light. They have no idea about truth. And they're continuing to act and respond just on their basic self-centered nature. And my self loves pleasure. My carnal self loves pleasure. And so therefore, so if I love pleasure, what am I always going to be pursuing? Pleasure. I want pleasurable experiences. I want to make sure that I have these things in my life. And so, those are the things that I, uh, that's what my weekend is about. Because I love pleasure so much, what don't I have time to love? God. They'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They'll acknowledge God. But the sole driving force behind their lives is seeking pleasure, hedonistic. Seeking those pleasurable experiences. So they'll love themselves, they'll love money, and they'll love pleasure rather than God. And we see these things happening. Now, what will that produce? As people love those things, don't love God, or at least put him, he won't be first. He's sort of, just we include him, and if we have time to fit God in, well, that's wonderful. But if not, you know, what are you going to say when you face God? What are you going to say when he says, why didn't you live for me? You say, God, well, I only had one life and I wanted to make sure I enjoyed it to the fullest. And he'll say, well, I hope you did depart from me because I never knew you. I mean, is that, you think about it. Is that what we're living for? So what does this produce? Okay, back to the beginning of the list, list. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money. I'm just going to run through these pretty quickly. Boasters. What that means is someone who's a swagger, someone who's all talk and no action. Just continue to boasting about things just for the sake of boasting. They've never done it, but they're gonna boast about it. It's easier to say stuff than it is to actually do stuff. A lot of big mouth talkers, proud that means showier, to show yourself to be above other people. Blasphemers, people that speak evil or are abusive with their talk. Disobedient to parents, isn't that interesting? we see the rise of kids running the house can't keep them under control they call the shots they don't listen to their parents parents don't know what to do with that that's a sign a mark are these good things folks let's you know these are not good things right we know <laughs> these are not good things disobedient to parents that has that been increasing you think we see more and more of that kids harder to control kids rebellious unthankful I think what Paul is communicating that there's going to be an increased sense of entitlement that the world owes them, but they owe no one. A sense of deserving things and and no need to say thanks because this is what I deserve. People are going to be unthankful. Are people unthankful today? How's it going to look when it's worse? Unholy. No reverence toward God. Now this one is interesting. Unloving. Literally, and, and maybe your Bible says, without natural affection. Without natural affection. What is natural affection? We have chickens on our farm. A chicken, now does a chicken have a large brain or a small brain? Is, is a chicken a smart animal or a, a stupid animal? Okay, now a chicken, a mother hen, has a natural instinct of caring for the eggs until they hatch, and then when the little ones are born, she has a natural instinct To feed and care for them. It's a natural instinct that even silly animals have. But Paul says in the last days when perilous times come. That will be lacking in human beings. This even a natural affection between parents and their children. Children and their parents. Husbands and their wives. Wives and their husbands. These these aren't things you have to learn. These are things that are supposed to be part of human nature. And they're going to be absent. And I think one of the most troubling things that I've seen in ministry is that so much of the damage that is caused to human beings happens within their families. And that is so... Where there should be natural affection. Where a father should naturally care for and protect his children. And a mother and, and the children naturally caring for and that 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 is... Becoming more and more absent as time goes on. It's diminishing. So unloving, unforgiving, literally truce breakers. Uh, You can't trust people. They're not going to be interested in making peace with you. They're not going to be interested in keeping commitments. They'll be glad to to, uh, sign a dotted line and never actually feel like they're responsible to keep that promise. Truce breakers are Unforgiving. Slanderers, literally the word for devils or diabolos in Greek. False accusers, running other people down to promote their own cause uh, without self-control. People will have less and less self-control. They'll just act and react, uh, doing whatever comes naturally, impulsively. They'll be brutal, again, literally fierce or savage. I've been a, a, a referee in sports. We know how people can be brutal and savage over a silly call in a sports game and now again we see this happening people are brutal savage uh... school shootings uh, and these things are are on the rise they will be despisers of good or literally of those that are good hostile toward people that want to live right they'll be traitors betraying one another they'll be headstrong and they'll be haughty to envelop with smoke they'll be proud their head will be in the clouds totally clueless unable to see uh, Uh, beyond themselves, so puffed up. And this is probably the scariest part, is that in these last days, the time we're describing, there will be uh, church, there will be religion. The Bible says they'll be having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What do you think that looks like? A form, literally an outward appearance Of of piety. They'll be going through the motions. They'll be showing up at a building that they call church. And going through the the rituals of of doing that religious type of thing. But it will be completely a human contrivance. And it will be completely self-serving. Because remember, what's causing, what's at the root of these things? Love of self. So who will be at the center of church in the last days? People. Church will be about people about us what we want because we love pleasure so church will have to become a pleasurable experience because people love pleasure and then there'll be this form and appearance of godliness but what's missing in it god the, the, you know, we've had this construction going on 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 the, the church site and there's this big heavy equipment out there and it has the appearance of being powerful. But what if there was no power? What if you, you'd got into that big backhoe and went over to try to lift that truss or do, move that pile and the driver just said, I, I can't move, I can't do that. I, I don't have the power for that. I don't have any power. It's like, well, then why are you even here? It's useless. Bring in something that has power, that can move that thing. You know, and I, and I know some of you, even may be sort of in this category where church for you is just kind of showing up and and going through the motions, and, and you have no idea or no expectation of the power of God in your life, the power for salvation. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God to salvation, the power to transform, the power to fill your heart with love. You think, well, I can never love those people. I can never forgive. You don't know the power of God. And you've never called out and asked them to, why? Because you don't want to forgive. You see, the word denying its power doesn't mean that, oh, we really want it, but we're not sure. It means we're not interested in the power of God. It means we're refusing the power of God. We're not interested in God being part of our religious thing. I am so interested in the power of God. And Without the power of God, then all we have is a social organization here. And you can be members of a lot of different social organizations, can't you? But there's something special we have here. This is not just a human thing that we do. We are very keenly aware of the power of God. And I hope and pray that we and you and I have experienced the power of God to where your love is just, your heart is just bursting with love for people, and you don't know how it got that way. Where did that come from? It's the power of God. And you, and you might sit and think, well, I don't know. I see it in that person's life. But I don't think God can do it for me. Then you don't know the power of God. When you cry out to him, the things he can do in your heart are amazing. You can become something you never thought you could be, not by your power, but by the power of God. So at the the perilous times, the dangerous times, the difficult times, church will be just merely an appearance, it will lack power, and and God won't be welcome in those places. And that's a sad thing. So, moving on. And from such people, turn away. Paul tells Timothy, if you see that happen, when you see people acting that way, avoid them. That's not where you want to be, Timothy. For of this sort, this, uh, from this group of people that, that living, are living this way are those who creep into households, they're creepy, it's really creepy, they creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul is going to compare and contrast his life with the life of people that are living kind of in this direction and he says they are not honest. They sneak. They coerce themselves into people's households to spread their false gospel about pleasure and enjoying things. And you know, look, I'm not—I'm I'm not anti-enjoyment, right? When when you're a Christian, you—I know, think you can enjoy life more, not less. I think that's where true enjoyment is found in, in serving the Lord. When you do things, when you find yourself doing things that, that line up with obedience and the will of God, it's, it's a blast. It's enjoyment. It's amazing. So I'm not saying that the Christians, oh, we're always sour pusses. It's not that at all. We don't find enjoyment in sin, which is what the last day's message will be. Hey, you don't have, there's no, no power to transform. It's not about transforming your life. It's just about enjoying the lifestyle you're living, even if that's a sinful lifestyle. That's what this is talking about. So, but they'll creep into households and they'll target specific people who will they, they'll take captive through their teaching gullible women, literally it's simple women or little women loaded down with sins. This is the, the beautiful thing about, about women is they're keenly aware of their guilt. A woman is keenly aware of her guilt. And, and the feelings, and it's very prevalent among women, this, this um, lack of, of confidence because of this awareness of sinfulness in their life and of guilt. Guys, I, I can stand, sit face to face with a guy and he'll boldly lie to my face and, and not really be in touch with the fact that he's a sinner. He kind of, men have this ability to put up a wall and pretend like nothing's wrong. But women know it inside. They can't lie to themselves. And so, but these guys will find those women who are loaded down it speaks of like a truckload there's like a truckload of of sins and they're loaded down they're small simple women with this load of sins and they'll lead they've been led away by various lusts and they'll take these women captive through their false teaching and they'll be teaching 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 and will it ever lead these people to the truth will it ever a gullible person a person who is sort of Blinded, willing to believe whatever comes down the pike, will never find the truth. Because all roads don't lead to God. And so you have to be discerning. And Paul is highlighting them and their techniques for captivating people with their teaching that actually promotes a sinful lifestyle. Always learning. And some people are like that, always learning. You know, got this book, got that book. I'm at the library. I got, you know, this book by this person and this new age thing and this mystery thing here. And I got all these different kinds of books, self-help books. And, and they're always suck, soaking it all in and never able to find the truth. They don't seem to, to pick up the Bible and look for truth there. So there were two guys uh, that Paul brings to mind here. uh, Verse number 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. As whose was? Janus and Jambres. Well, who were they, Pastor? Janus and Jambres, according to Jewish uh, history, and Jewish interpretation of the scriptures were the two men, the two magicians, that when Moses did a miracle, they said, oh, we can do that, and they imitated it. And then Moses did another miracle, and they said, oh, we can do that, Pharaoh, and they imitated it again. But eventually, it came a point where Moses did a miracle, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't imitate it. And eventually, Moses did a miracle, boils. That's a lovely one, Boils And and they got it themselves. They were exposed as being fraudulent. And so what Paul is trying to say as these people who, look, if you don't like resistance, then you're not going to have a good go of it as a Christian. Because there will be people resisting the truth. There were back in Moses' day. If you're going to stand for the word of God, then recognize you will meet with resistance. True or not True. It's true. Just as they're, they're men of corrupt minds. And look, eventually they'll be exposed. That it's just a farce. It's a lie. It's going nowhere. And it won't continue. Their folly will be... Mad. Every, they'll be sold out. Everybody will see it. It's, it's a mess. Verse 10. Now the contrast. Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. What a contrast to the list back in the beginning of chapter 3. As opposed to those that are loving themselves and loving money and unthankful and unholy and all of those things. Paul says, Timothy, you have been intimately acquainted with my life. You have watched me you have walked with me you've seen my purposes were for the gospel not for myself you've, you've listened to my teaching not love yourself but love others you've seen the way i live you've seen the way i'm patient with people you've seen something real important in my life timothy you've seen love Now. Do you have any Timothy's in your life? Who's watching your life? And can they say of you, or can you say to them, hey, you can you say to your children, you have watched the way I've lived? You've seen how it's worked out in my life. You've seen the love that we've showed and and the manner of life. You've seen our purposes that here's the purpose. That can you say, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord? Is that the banner over the door of your home? Can you say, my kids have seen, hey, we serve the Lord first and foremost. He says, you've seen all these things. And what's that caused? It's caused me to be persecuted. It's caused me to run into trouble. When Paul was spreading the gospel in Iconium and Lystra, they stoned him to death. They dragged him out. Listen, this is what this guy did for the gospel. They, They threw stones at him, knocked him unconscious. Knocked him out. They, they thought he was dead. They drag him out of the city and they leave him there. They're all standing over and going, man, I think he's dead. And then he, he wakes up. Oh, man, he's come out of it. And where does he go? Back into the city. There's more work to be done. The guy's got a concussion. He's still kind of staggering. Like, got to get back to the city. More people need to hear the truth, you know. Back in he goes. And he says, Timothy, you've seen the things I've endured for the sake of the kingdom of God. And Timothy, you've also seen, he doesn't say from them, but out of them all, the Lord has delivered me. You've seen the power of God in my life. How as I've chosen to live for God, it's not kept me out of trouble, but it's gotten me through a lot of trouble. And now here's a huge underline verse, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and that's not a doesn't say yes all who desire to live godly in christ jesus might suffer persecution it says well this is a certainty now the interesting thing to me is it says all who desire to live godly circle that underline that to live godly to live godly now here's the thing you can carry your bible you can read it You can come out on a Sunday morning and gather together. We can sing songs to the Lord. We can do our thing as long as you don't start living differently. When it becomes real in your life and you start changing the way you live, that's when problems start. So the world system, your friends, your family, they're perfectly content for the most part to let you kind of do your thing. Well, that's just Steve. He just—it's the next trend he's on. You know, he'll—he'll he'll get over it in a little while. Just go read your Bible, Mister Christian man. You know, it—that's fine. But when you come home and you start saying, you know, I'm—I'm going to live. I'm not going to smoke that anymore. I'm not going to watch that anymore. I'm not going to go to those parties anymore. I'm not going to live that way anymore. Now all of a sudden, what happens? Your family starts to come against you and say, "Well, what do you—you you think you're better than us now? Oh, now that you're a Christian, now you think somehow that you're better than us?" Oh, sure, now now all of a sudden you're living this life. and Because why? Because we shine light into the darkness. and dark And light exposes things. So when you say, hey, I'm not living that way anymore, then that's confrontational to them because they're still living that way. And you're saying that your way is right and their way is wrong and they don't like to hear that. So that's when you will begin to face persecution. So if you've never wrestled with being persecuted in that way, if you've never had uh, someone come against you like that, you have to ask yourself the question, am I attempting to live godly in Christ Jesus? Or am I just attempting to um, do godly things with other godly people and never have it affect or change my life? The real power of God is demonstrated when people choose to live differently. When people choose to live differently according to God. And that's what stirs things up, doesn't it? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer for persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We live in a world that will be filled with more and more lies. And they're there already, but they will increase and become worse and worse. Not only will they deceive others, but they're deceived themselves. And now verse 14. But you... So first he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine and verse 14 now but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus Timothy don't jump ship don't jump ship you you've you see all these things happening you see these trends continuing and the easy thing is to get caught up in the trend, isn't it? To begin, we begin to question ourselves. You know, there's this religion and that religion and this religion and that false religion over there. And it begins to go, ah, my brain is confused. Man, I just give up on the whole thing. And Paul says to Timothy, don't do that. Why? He says, you have to continue. Calvary Chapel flew down to listen. We're on a sinking ship. You know that. And, and people are going to become more like savages. And harder to get along with. And, and know this ahead of time. Because in an uncertain world. And in a degrading world. A devolving world. We have the eternal word of God. We have the eternal word of God. And you've had it. And some of you have grown up with it. Timothy, Paul says, you have grown up with this. You must continue in the things which you learned and have been assured of. Timothy, at one point in your life, you were so certain of these things. Why are you questioning them now? You were so certain of what you believed. And some of you, at one point in your life, you were so certain of these things uh, that you've been taught. Now you're not sure. And God is saying to you, uh, just like Timothy, you you continue in the things you were certain of. And you learned from the time you were uh, your childhood from the time you were an infant literally who did he learn him from he learned him from his mother and grandmother again moms and dads the time to start with the word of god in your kids lives is reading it to them when they're babies and when they first start to write get a big page of the bible and make it real big and let them learn their alphabet by copying that's probably what timothy did his mom probably had him. When he first was learning to write his Hebrew letters, she pulled out the story of Gideon. Blew it up real big and put the words, and then Timothy would copy those letters, learn his alphabet by copying the, uh, the scriptures and learn the stories as a, as a young kid. Timothy, you've learned these things from the time you were little. Continue in them. Because it says from, the t- from childhood, verse 15, you have known the Holy Scripture, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We talked about it during the Catholicism video on Sunday night. If you're struggling with what to believe, how do I know what to believe, read your Bible, to read your Bible. If you're not sure, read your Bible. So many times people say, well, I believe this and I believe that. Well, how do you believe that? How do you know that? Well, I don't know. I just, somebody taught me that. Somebody told me. Read your Bible. There are some conclusions people come up with that they would never come up with if they would just read their Bible. There are some things that religions teach that they would never, that they could never teach to people who were reading their Bible. Because it's so clear what God says when you read the Bible, when you read the scriptures. Because Timothy, when you read the scriptures, listen, direct people, read the Bible. Why? Because when they read it, they'll get saved. When you read it for yourself, when you read the word of God, it it makes you wise and you understand what salvation is all about and how to have it. How do you have it, folks? Through faith. Through faith alone in Christ alone. And now the, the culmination of all of what Paul is comparing, contrasting, All of this, he says, verse 16, Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is a flagship verse in the word of God, isn't it? If you're reading this for the first time, that is so inspirational. It's the it's God's commentary on His Word. He says, "How much Scripture? All Scripture, all of the Holy Writings." Now, that would Paul for Paul. This would include and primarily be the Old Testament. The New Testament was just being written; some of it already written. Uh, but primarily, he's thinking the Old Testament is God inspired, literally. God breathes. It's given by inspiration. It's breathed by God. When, when you speak, you're breathing out your word. When Paul, the, at that time, Saul in Acts chapter 9, when he is uh, still terrorizing the church, uh, Luke writes in Acts 9 that he was still breathing threats and murders. It was what sort of was giving him life. And in Genesis God forms Adam from the dust of the earth. But there's Adam, just this form of a human being, but he's not alive. And what does God do? He breathes into his nostrils. And Adam becomes a living being. And so here, Paul says, all scripture is is the breath of God, is breathed out by God. And as you take it in, it's almost like taking in The life of God, his breath, taking it in. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice he doesn't say all experiences are given by inspiration of God. Not all experiences. You can't always trust experiences. Experiences follow godly living. I mean, we've had some amazing experiences. But some people will direct you to look to experiences. But he doesn't say all experiences aren't God-inspired. But all scripture is. So where do we go? We have this more sure word, Peter says. We have this more, this certain word of God. It's God inspired. And because it's God inspired, it's also what? Profitable. The book of Leviticus is profitable. Yeah. The book of Job is profitable. Those of us that went through the study. Was that profitable or what? The book of Psalms is profitable. Isaiah is profitable. Genesis is profitable. They're all profitable. Why? Because they're breathed out by God. So at Calvary Chapel, why do we make it our aim to teach all scripture? Because we believe that all scripture is God breathed and profitable. That's why we don't skip anything. I don't always understand when we got into the book of Job I'm like god I don't know how you're going to use this or what this. and I didn't understand how it would be profitable but as we studied it we were just blown away it was so profitable But certainly some of Paul's writings Peter calls Paul's writings scripture so this does also include the New Testament as well So what's it profitable for Number 1 for for doctrine for learning It's profitable for learning. There is such a, um, a hunger that people will read books upon books upon books from the bookstore. And I'm not against reading books from the bookstore, but there's all these different authors and the latest top seller and the latest book. Get into the Bible because it's God-inspired. And it's profitable for instruction, for reproof. Listen, for reproof. Hang with me. For reproof. What is reproof? That is being called to the carpet. Because a lot of people say, well, I talk to God regularly. I pray and I tell God, you know, what's on my heart. And I tell God, God needs to talk to you too. God's got some things to say. To be called to the carpet or be to, to be reproved is to be corrected. So when you get into the word of God, it corrects you. He corrects you. To be called to the carpet is to be called in the office and told, hey, you got to straighten up and fly right. To be confronted about wrong things, wrong ideas, wrong... How many of you have had God correct you from his word? You've seen, you've you've thought something and and you've gone, wow, God, you've really corrected me. I used to think that Christians had no place in government, that there's no way you could be a Christian and still operate in the government of the United States, local government, it's just, they're like... Oppositions—you can't, You can't be a Christian and live godly and still operate in the government. And then I thought about the life of Joseph, second in command under Pharaoh. And then I thought about the life of Daniel, and the Lord corrected me. God, I was wrong about that. And, and maybe some of you have grown up with prejudices and things like that, and God's got to correct those things for you. God needs to speak to you. But he doesn't leave you there. He shows you what's wrong, and you go, oh no, you know, now what? Well, he also, it's profitable for a correction. That's to set straight. So God shows you what's wrong, and then he shows you how to set it straight. Isn't that wonderful? Some of us parents have teenage kids, and we understand how much braces cost. Braces are expensive. But braces are used to straighten teeth, to set straight something that's been crooked. The Word of God will straighten you out and and you need straightening out true and to instruct you so reproof doctrine reproof correction for instructing you in how to live right oh man it's great to see a person get saved and they they, they have an experience and they come forward out of service and oh you know I, I want to be saved I want to be forgiven and now you need to learn how to live because you didn't learn how to live. You don't know how, you don't have a clue about how to live. I didn't have a clue about how to live until I started getting into the Word of God. God started showing me how to live. And finally, what's the, the ultimate purpose then? Is so that the man of God, the person, can be a complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the word complete is not the typical word for complete. It means to be fitted out, to be fitted out. Um, and we would say today, outfitted. So if someone, if you're going to go camping, you go to the outfitters and you get your sleeping bag and you get your camping stove and you get your tent and you get your, all the things that you need to be outfitted because you don't want to show up to the campground and go, oh no, we forgot about that. Or we, we don't have this. You know, we, we don't have a stove or we don't have, forgot my, you ever go camping and forget your sleeping bag? That makes for a miserable night, doesn't it? (laughs) No sleeping bag. You know, so the word of God, listen, God has work for you to do. And if you want to be equipped to do the things he's called you to do, then you must, must, must be in the word of God because it will, the word of God will fully equip you, fully outfit you, so that you will be thoroughly equipped for every and any good work God calls you to do. Doesn't matter what he calls you to do. Calls you to teach a Bible study. Calls you to change diapers in the nursery. Calls you to sweep the floor after service. Calls you to be a missionary in India. Doesn't matter. All of them equally need to be equipped by the word of God. Man, that's a fantastic verse. A fantastic idea. Phil, if you would come up and we'll close in prayer. We got through a whole chapter and I appreciate your guys' patience to get through that. Um, just not a good, there wasn't a good breaking point in the middle of that chapter. I didn't want to leave talking about Janice and Jambres uh, and, and false teaching without understanding this that in the falling world we have the enduring word. In the falling world we have the enduring word. Say that with me. In the falling world we have the enduring word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we believe that what we do here is profitable, otherwise we wouldn't do it. We believe that as the world continues, we need the power of God in our lives to continue to be witnesses. We believe that you can prepare us to be persecuted as we continue to to live godly, as we don't compromise, as we don't bow out, as we run the race with endurance. Lord, we don't live under a rock. We see the things that are happening. We understand the trends of the world and that things are growing worse and worse. And Lord, the danger we know in all of this is to be led astray. To be led away from the truth. And Lord, right now, my prayer for this congregation, for those sitting in these chairs and those that couldn't be here today, Homesick or slept in or whatever. Father, I pray that I'd be able to present this church to you, having endured to the end, to await the crown of, of righteousness, the crown of life. We pray, Lord, that no mind in here would be deceived or tricked. Father, put in us a hunger, a deep, deep hunger for your word, a dependence on your word, a need for your word. Understanding that these are not the words of man, but that these are the very words of the living God. And I no longer want to put it aside to watch TV or movies, but to enjoy the pleasure of Of meditating on your word. Your word is so good. Oh that we would taste and see. That the Lord is good. Father fill us with your life. In Jesus name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.